Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, of course, another busy week in real estate. If you've been watching the papers, listening to the news, all sorts of things going on. Uh, a little bit later in the hour, I'm going to have Greg Benell from BNN Bloomberg joining me. And we're going to be talking about his new show. And uh, he's going to talk some facts and figures with me, as he always does. Always great to have him on. And after that, I'm going to have Mr. Greg Gilmore. He is one of the founders for Remax in Canada. And uh, I'm going to be having a chat with him. Greg and I go way back. And we'll have a great conversation. But before we go down that road, let's talk about this week's news in the real estate market. Well, I'd like just to thank the uh, Bank of Canada, of course, for making everybody's life a little bit more stressful with that stress test. There's been an adjustment. That's right. You don't have to qualify at 5.14 anymore. How about 5.34? Yeah, that's, that's the thing. They keep going up. They're saying that as different rates go up, they're going to keep increasing the stress test. It's not like they could just set a, you know, a benchmark and say, hey, let everybody go to 5% and you know what, even if the interest rates do go up to four eventually, you know, 5%, you know, still, still kind of making sure the stress is there. Nope, they want to keep going up. And uh, so they're not making anybody's life easier now, are they? So a couple of things that you have to remember, if you don't want to uh, have to deal with the stress test, then your existing lender, if you renew your mortgage, you do not have to do it. So uh, if you decide to change lenders, though, this is where the stress test could come into play for you. And of course, when we talk about stress tests, this is a big thing because they, they implemented for people that were putting 20% down or more. They felt that uh, that was the easy out for them. So how hard is it for you to put 20% down? Well, if we take the average house cost detached, and let's say we're playing around with $1.2 million, you're going to have to come up with $240,000. If you have 240000 that you can put down on a house, does that not mean that you should probably be uh, you know, strong enough and, and knowledgeable enough to make your mortgage payment? No. They want to make sure that nobody's getting in over their heads and, of course, Big Brother's going to keep watching us, and so they've implemented this. But good news this week, of course, is the fact that one or two of the banks are uh, easing up on some of their rates. In fact, they're doing their own incentives, and uh, I'll have Greg Bennell talk about that a little bit later because I think it's a good idea that you know who is the aggressor in the market. But I'll give you a hint. They're the same people that did it before, and they got a phone call from a gentleman by the name of Mr. Flaherty. So uh, if I drop too much of a hint, you'll have to uh, have to wait for a little while before you get the answer on what bank is being the most aggressive right now in the mortgage rate department. Now, other things that are going on, of course, what a difference a year makes the when we talk about luxury home values. Well, we're not going to talk much about the values because they really haven't moved much, but the number of sales has drastically changed. In fact, some serious numbers uh, right now, the luxury home market, the overall volume in the Toronto area, 68% decline. Now, that's a, that's a big number. You know, we've seen some of the, the numbers fall off on, in the regular market, anywhere from 10, 15, 20, 30, and in some areas in Toronto up to 40. But when we start talking about a price point, this is where, you know, did the, uh, the fair housing, you know, measures that got put in place this time last year, do they have a big enough effect on the actual foreign investment that was coming in? Are they the ones who aren't buying or is the fact that people are no longer selling their properties for the big bucks, so they're not moving up 
And this is what a lot of the issue was last year, was the fact that people were selling their houses, let's say for 1.2 million, but where did they go from there? If they weren't retiring and downsizing and they were upsizing, where did they have to go? Well, a lot of people were moving up to that $2 million price range because they could afford to. Interest rates were low. They had a lot of equity built up in a home for a long period of time. And it was a lot easier to move over and up. Now, if those people aren't active because let's say that $1.2 million house is now selling for, let's say a million, they're feeling that they'd have to put too much money down to be able to move up. So at this point, the price didn't move, but the volume certainly did. And the Vancouver market is way off as well. So kind of interesting stuff that's going on. A couple other things in the news. Hey, let's talk about commercial real estate for a second, because, you know, this is one of those things that, you know, we don't always talk a lot uh, on them about the market in the commercial or industrial um, segment. But, you know, one of the things that you should be aware of, first and foremost, is that they are also suffering from a vacancy issue. Um, They're almost at zero as the residential market is. 3%. For them, a 3% vacancy rate means that they are full. There is absolutely nothing available. But if you want something that truly measures zero vacancy, and if you could buy or build, you know what space you should be getting into? I know, me too. I, I, I didn't have the answer, but the market you should be going into is the freezer and refrigerated space. That's right. The big, huge areas that you see, these big buildings, and they, it says refrigeration, you know, a lot of times, I guess it's meat, meat packing plants or, you know, some of the, because they're kind of the halfway house when they're doing the shipping, 0% vacancy. There is nothing available in the GTA. So if you're going to build something, maybe that's the route to go. Right now, that is one of the hottest, hottest marketplaces. And with the commercial vacancy rate so low, you know, it's making it tough for a lot of companies to expand. So they're taking a different tact. Uh, and as well, right now, down in downtown Toronto, not enough buildings are being built for the use of business. It, of course, they're being you know, massively attracted to the residential aspect of things. And uh, so I would have to say the commercial area right now becoming more and more attractive for people to be able to buy. Um, One of the things that, of course, uh, when we follow the market, and we always want to talk about what the government's willing to do for us, right now they're saying middle class gets priced out of the housing market. Canada takes a drastic step to make it affordable. Is it possible? You know, are they doing something about it? Well, what they're saying is that they're going to make some land affordable to developers, few developers are out there saying, hey, listen, we're going to build more purpose-built rentals on top of some affordable housing. Well, you know what? Proof will be in the pudding when we see it come out, but they're they're trying to target a pretty big number. In fact, they're looking at something around 50,000 units over the next 10 years. My problem with that is I don't believe it. I don't believe that that's even going to touch or scratch the surface of what we truly need. And this is the thing. When we talk about the government and we talk about the provincial election coming up, there's a lot of promises that get whipped around. And then, of course, they get changed. And and I'm not going to say that I'm dead set against one party or the other. Um, but I will have to tell you that when I hear the idea that we're going to increase our green space, um, I've got a problem with it. We need to, you know, I'm not going to say we should eat up our green space, but the idea of increasing it uh, may be a problem. And especially if we're talking about any part of the core of the GTA. You know what? If they've designated it already, we understand, but the density has to increase or else we're going to get to the point where all the outdoor communities 
um, are going to be, you know, faced in the suburbs, you know, and you could be looking at an hour to an hour to a two hour commute. And I'm not sure how you're going to handle that. So, uh, but the one thing, and speaking of the commute, the London market, boy, did they ever have a big jump. Um, one of the things that they were saying that the real estate sold, uh, you know, 21% increase in the London marketplace last year. Big, big uh, price percentage, 18% increase dollar, but 21% increase in volume. And so that's a, that's a big number. So London was a hot, hot area. Um, but, you know, it's interesting, though, uh, when we talk about real estate, I was on with Barb DiGiulio this week. We we're talking about a property that came up for sale and it was unique. It's in the Scarborough area and it does, it's right on the lake. And people were shocked that something would be coming up for $4 million where the property actually was in absolute disarray. Well, here's the catch. Um, if we took a look at the description of the land, uh, two acres. And some people may be saying, they're saying, hey, but Scarborough, you know, it's Scarborough. Why is two acres worth $4 million? Because if a developer goes in there, they can probably pop on about 20 townhomes. And when you take a look at the cost now, uh, that makes it a lot more affordable. And this is the thing. This is where the infill stuff starts filling in when we get a little bit bigger parcel of land. Um, if everybody remembers, I had Mike Chesahosky on a few uh, weeks ago, and we were talking about a two-acre parcel in downtown Toronto that his firm had represented, and we're talking a $100 million price tag for two acres. So do you think that two acres out in Scarborough for four million is a good deal? Well, I think somebody's going to pick it up for sure and take a good hard look at what they could do with it. Now, if you're really feeling crazy, how about going to a new luxury rental that has an infinity pool and can you afford to live there? Well, prices range for 400 square feet, $1,800, and a three-bedroom unit for 32. Now, when I took a look at the description and then I take a look at some of the square footages, it's actually a really good deal. Now, not many people are going to sit there and say, yeah, but Todd, $1,800 for 400 square feet, that's not a good deal. No, I, I agree when you're dealing with the smaller ones, but you know, some of these houses that you can rent today in around 2,500 to 4,000, um, you don't get a whole lot there either. And if you're talking about a brand new swanky three bedroom unit with uh, pool and hang on, let me just, I just want to tell everybody exactly what you get out of this thing because it's pretty impressive. Uh, I think full gym, you've got a dog walk park, everything that you could possibly need and you're very, and basically you're right on top of a market. So it allows you to just walk down, get your food, come back up, hang out in your infinity pool. I don't know. Um, you know, they're, they're saying a lot of, the, a lot of things in the news right now, they're saying that our rents are going to continue to go up. One bedrooms are almost topping $2,000. They're just a little bit less on the average. Now, keep in mind, whenever I'm giving you these numbers, they typically are talking about brand new construction. There's still deals out there. And if you're looking for something, remember some of the outer markets, and I don't mean uh, not, uh, you know, far, far out, but, you know, maybe an extra, uh, extra stop on the subway, maybe extra stop on the GO train, you can get some more affordability. Um, as I had mentioned earlier, uh, my next guest coming up is Mr. Greg Bennell from BNN Bloomberg. We're going to be talking a lot with Greg. So you don't want to miss um, what he has to say about the mortgage lender that is discounting greater than everybody else. If you've got a renewal coming up, make sure you know who it is. Anyways, I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. I'll be right back after this. 
And welcome back. So when we want to talk numbers, there's only one person that I really like to go to from the economical standpoint of things. Um, you might remember Greg Bennell from B the BNN Bloomberg hot show. Um, I, I, it was house money, and, and quite frankly, it was a great show. But they've now moved him on, and now you can catch him every day of the week at 2 p.m. with his new show called Real Economy. And welcome back to the show, Greg. Oh, it was great to be here, Todd. You know, it's uh, it's interesting because, you know, they, they, they only had you working one one day a week with the one show. I know you're adding a lot to the different uh, different shows at uh, BNN Bloomberg, but now you've got uh, one called Real Economy. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the show? Yeah, like you're saying, House Money was a half an hour once a week. Now I get a full hour every day of the week at 2 p.m. Eastern on the Real Economy. And it's, housing's a big chunk of it, but it's everything about the economy. Obviously, we've got jobs and we've got inflation. But for me, it always sort of came together anyway. We're still talking about a lot of the same stuff that we talked about house money that I would just sort of sort of push into that mold saying, of course, this has to do with the housing market. Now you're just a little little freer. But we've had a lot of discussions. The show's only at the end of the second week right now. And I'd say we'd st we've talked more about real estate and the time we've been given to do it on that show than we were getting in that 30 minutes once a week. So it's a good thing. Yeah, awesome. You know, I always think that all things lead to real estate and uh, or, you know, every everything can be, you know, diverted back to real estate. The you know, job but, market. If you got a job, yeah. you're going to pay your mortgage, which is the cost of borrowing. It goes back to the Bank of Canada, goes back to the finance department, everything. Everything's a house. Yeah, it, seem, it seems that way. And, you know, when we talk about politics, of course, you know, um, a couple of the, I guess, candidates, you know, I, I wouldn't mind kind of diving into it with you a little, you know, some promising certain things, others saying, hey, listen, you know what, we're doing fine. Next minute, we want to increase the amount of, uh, you know, green space that we have. <laughs> you know, yeah, the that's, that's been the one in the Ontario race right now, because I've been watching them in the debate uh, a couple days ago. They, they touched on housing a little bit, but it was sort of just you know, that soft kind of rhetoric. Like, we want to make sure the missing middle gets to live in the city where they, you know, work and live and all that kind of stuff. We've been hearing a lot of that. But the Greenbelt thing was the most interesting, right? This idea that was based on sort of uh, anonymous sources, I think, at the beginning, that Doug Ford, if he becomes premier, he's going to open up more of the Green Belt. Within 24 hours, you had Mr. Ford coming out and saying, no way, we're going to protect the Green Belt. And then that sets off the whole debate again as to whether the Green Belt is really to blame in terms of not being able to find areas to put new houses in. And along those lines, actually, I just had a conversation on the real economy with Ed Sunshine. He's the CEO of Real Can Read. These guys are retail landlords, right? These are the big malls you see. They're the landlords for that, but they're looking at those big parcels of land and saying, you know what, if everyone's saying there's no land left to build on, guess what? We got a lot of land all through the GTA and most of it's parking lot. I think we're going to start building some apartments on that. Yeah, but you know, and that would make a lot of sense. I, I've, I've had a few people on the show and we've been talking about that. And the fact that, you know, having the big paved parking lots with some of these outlet malls and things like that, I mean, it's so, it would be so easy for them to go up on some of these parcels. And, and again, they're massive. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking, you know, anywhere from, you know, two to 10 acres in some of these malls. And as far as the development goes, uh, you know, you could put thousands and thousands of units into these actual parking lots, as you described them. And one of the things that you would think is that a lot of these, because of the box mall mentality, and now with, you know, Amazon and all the major 
companies really pushing more towards the internet sales. You know, some of these box malls might be starting to struggle as far as keeping tendencies. It would make a lot of sense if they did a huge conversion program, leave a little bit of commercial retail on the bottom and go up above them. Do you think do you think that's going to be a big fight with the municipalities though because again that's going to start putting that density into some people's neighborhoods that, you know, they're okay with the they're okay with the low-rise malls, but the idea of, mm-hmm. you know, taking a look at towers could that be an obstacle they're going to have to overcome? Well, that's the thing. Every time I talk to Ed Sunshine about that from Real Can, I'm like, are the cities on board with this? Are you going to get this through? And he's, no, no, the cities are really excited to do it. I, th- I think if you do it right in a mall, because a mall is not exactly a, a hospitable environment anyway. Like you just said, like, I, square one in Mississauga, if anyone knows that one, oh my God, if you ever have to book an appointment at the Apple Store and you got to walk in like seven kilometers across the parking lot just to get to the mall. So, so I think you can find it. And the key there too, and I know... There's a uh, real can mall property not far from where I live, and it's going to be right on an LRT line that takes you down to the go line. So th- this is the idea that if you, can, if you can build in these areas where people can get out of their cars and sort of mix it, and like you said, Todd, retail, that's definitely a changing game. It can't hurt people who own retail space to put a bunch of bodies above their stores because, you know, they might just come down the elevator and shop in those stores. Well, you know, this is this is one of those things that we're now seeing in downtown Toronto is that, you know, below below some of these units, uh, we're seeing, you know, the ability of putting grocery stores in, they're putting gym, gyms in them, you know, they're putting they're putting the, the, the needs of somebody every single day. And it makes a lot of sense. You know, if we go back to the idea where the big developers looking at, I guess it's over 80 units, and they're, they're where Stollery's was, and they're now saying that, hey, listen, they're going to run like the basically, the, I think the first six floors from a retail perspective, but then they're going to go 70 floors above that for for residential. You know, I think that's that kind of forward thinking that, you know, combine the two uses and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, in the terms of two, the Canadian dream, right? Imagine in the dead of a Canadian winter, you don't have to leave. You just take an elevator, go downstairs, you hit the gym, you go to a restaurant, you get your groceries, you're back upstairs, you never went outside. I went to Carleton University and there's, anyone who knows Carleton, there's tunnels all through it. There was the Canadian dream right there. And everyone outside for two months. Yeah. <laughs> See, that makes a lot of sense. So so back, back to this this uh, green space that we were talking about. Um, right now, of course, uh, you know, again, I think it's going to be kind of a platform a little for some of the election. And where we actually heard that Kathleen Wynne was saying that she would like to increase the green space, which means, you know, designate more land into more of that green belt area and creating, you know, even, I guess, more of the need for space. What do you think? Is this something politically we're going to see that they're going to, when they really do hop on the campaign trail, they're going to talk about? It feels like a, a nice counter talking point because even though Mr. Ford came out and said, you know what, no, we're, we're going to be the party that protects the green belt. Don't worry, we're not going to take anything away. We're not in cahoots with developers. You got to go harder than that, right? You have to go to the other side and say, we're the party that's going to increase it and we still don't believe Mr. Ford. So I don't know if the Liberals can manage to pull this off because, I mean, they've been in power for let me think. My son Ever. was born. It's, it's almost <laughs> my son's gonna be 15 years old this summer, and yeah. Uh, yeah, that was that year. So it's been a long time. There's, they've built built up a lot of uh, policies that haven't uh, gone all that well. If they could actually pull it off, I would. I don't think their first course of business will be <laughs> to put more land into the green belt. It feels to me like a talking point on the campaign. Yeah, I think whatever whatever one party does, the other party wants to go the opposite side. Oh God, side. yeah, you got to entrench yourself hard the other way. We are the, uh, the the alternative way over this way. If you don't like that. Yeah, you know, and I think I think that uh, you know real estate, you know, in general, and you and I have lots to talk about today. Um, obviously, uh, I think that you know from a campaign perspective, you know, I, I've been telling people don't don't buy anything until 
until after the election. <laughs> yeah, you know? See what the we, next government's going to do. Well, exactly, and we're, I think I think they're going to move the needle. So, listen, Greg, um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to go to a quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk more with you because we need to talk about the Bank of Canada, um, you know, the stress test and all sorts of things. So, stay with us, folks. We'll be right back with Greg Benell from BNN Bloomberg. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now is Mr. Greg Bennell, and he is with BNN Bloomberg, and he is the host of Real Economy. You can find on the BNN network at 2 p.m. Monday to Friday. And Greg, just before the break, you know, you and I were, you know, hashing it out a little about the upcoming election. Uh, you know, what's the what are the premiers going to do? But if we go federally or, you know, around Canada, we can talk a little bit about what the Bank of Canada did this week. Yeah, the Bank of Canada had to uh, take notice of what was happening on the big Bay Street banks. They're all raising their five-year posted fixed rates. Of course, everybody knows if you walk out of the bank with the posted rate, then you haven't done your job as a consumer. But the, the posted rate's important because that's all about the stress test. So the Bank of Canada had to say, okay, we see the way that the banks are moving. So they raised that five-year posted benchmark of the Bank of Canada. That has big implications for the stress test. I mean, that's the rate that you're going to get stress tested at. But the other really interesting thing that happened this week is we, we've been hearing, we've been, uh, the warnings that the cost of borrowing is going to move higher and higher and higher. And we saw it in the fixed posted rates at the banks. We see the Bank of Canada lockstep and say, yep, no, we have to raise that benchmark as well, making it harder to pass those stress tests. But then BMO comes out and completely, I guess, uh, undercuts the conventional wisdom that we've been uh, hearing for the past three months about the cost of borrowing going higher. They came out with that variable rate. That's like a full percentage point below prime. And people are suddenly like, wait a minute, I'm confused. Is money getting more expensive or is money getting cheaper? Uh, but So money is definitely getting cheaper if you're going for that BMO rate. But that stress test just got harder. Yeah. You know, I want to thank BMO for doing it. I, you know, I've been talking about it on the show for a little while, waiting for somebody to step up this spring. Because, you know, normally in the spring, we see a lot of the big lenders, they'll, they'll start doing their discounts to the rates because they want to hop on the bandwagon when they, you know, see the active housing market, of course. And if you remember, uh, years ago, when BMO was the first person to knock the first bank to knock it down below 3%. Uh, I think Mr. Flaherty jumped in at the time. And I went, think he hey, actually yeah. called them, didn't he? He did. <laughs> what are he you guys did. doing? Yeah, what are you guys doing? Hey, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, so they, they, they did do a knee jerk reaction, they put it back up, up over 3% and then they kind of went, you know what, you can't tell us what we can do. And then they pursued the below 3% and it stayed that way for years. So um, thanks BMO for doing it. Do you think the rest of the banks are going to get the get the hint and, and start getting a little bit more aggressive with the discounts? Because you know, they're, if not, they're, they're, they're not going to attract any new money over to them. That's the thing, right? That's the game now is the Toronto market. I mean, we're seeing uh, the, the activity has cooled off dramatically from last year when things were at a fever pitch. We know that Vancouver still hasn't picked up the activity they used to have. The banks got to generate loans. I mean, I, I would be surprised if they just sat back and said, good for you, BMO, take all, take all the new business. But the thing about, I think, what's different this time with BMO going with this low rate is that you do have the stress test in place. So even though you go to the bank and you say, I want that nice variable rate, nice and low, lower than all the rest of the banks, they're still going to stress test you. So I think that's the sort of the financial stability, the whole reason, if it works the way it's supposed to, that the stress test was supposed to provide. This is great that I can walk out of the bank with this low cost of borrowing. And, it, and you know, it's great for homeowners. I want my rate to be as low as it can be. The money will go down in principle, will go to other things, but they're still going to test me and make sure that I'm not pushing myself to the limit. So this 
you know, might actually work. Might be the first example yeah. of getting cheap money, but making sure the person getting the cheap money Can isn't qualify. being reckless. Yeah, and, and you know, that's a great point. And I think what BMO is going to do is they're actually going to attract, um, I, I would say, more of the stable um, mm -hmm. you know, clientele, because, you know, if, if you're, if you're good with a stress test, uh, you have BMO saying, listen, we're going to be very aggressive. We want your business. You know, it's actually going to take from other banks, some really solid clients. And this is the thing that I think that they all have to wake up and smell the bacon is the fact that, you know, in the reality is that, listen, you want the, you want to have obviously the best borrowers out there when you're running with your portfolio. So you don't get caught with your pants down. But ultimately, in the end, right now, people are kind of kind of getting jammed because if you're if you've maxed yourself out right around that stress test number, you can't move banks. In other words, you can do a renewal yeah, exactly. on your mortgage, yeah. and this year, about forty-seven percent of all mortgages are going to renew. So there may not be a lot of movement from one lender to another because of the new stress test. Yeah, and then that becomes the advantage bank, right? Like you'd like to think from all the commercials that you watch that the bank has your back and your best interest at hearts, but if they realize that if you leave them. You're not going to be able to pass a stress test across the street. I don't think you're going to get their lowest rate. I think they know they have you boxed into a bit of a corner. You can't leave us. You know, why don't you renew at this rate? So there's definitely a worry there from the consumer angle that the banks will see that as an opportunity to make a little more money off of you because you, you simply can't walk out the door. Yeah, so that stress test is now 5.34%, folks. It uh, it came up from 5.14, and so 5.34, you know, much bigger number, as, as Greg was just saying, that the uh, that you're going to have to qualify versus what you're actually going to get. Hey, listen, uh, April numbers, of course, as as we all know, and I'm pretty sure you've been talking about it on your show, um, dollar value year over year down 12, 12.5%. Volume was the biggest mover, mm -hmm. of course, is 34%. Um, you know, but if we take the average detached total that was purchased last year that up to this year you lost $114,000. I wonder how people are feeling about that. I actually thought and here's where people will accuse me of being a market bull and I'm not but when I saw the April numbers I remember actually saying to our managing editor I said I thought they're gonna be worse than that. So did in I. In terms of know? the price right because yep. the price the average price moved back above 800000 and I actually wrote stories leading up to the new year saying that if prices just stay where they are now and like the, the mid to low 700s by the time we get to April, by the time we're comparing the high water mark of last year, the frenzy to this year, we're going to see prices down 20% on the average price. So when I saw it was 12, I was like, oh. I mean, 12 I, isn't great, but 12, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I agree. I actually, you know, and you and I actually talked about this a couple months ago, and I and I kind of predicted that I thought April was going to be a little bit, you know, worse than it ended up being. And of course, you know, we've got May, which is, the, May was really the last big month uh, last year. So, you know, I don't know where the numbers are going to mm -hmm. go, but if, if April's any indication, it's kind of, there's a little bit of stability happening in the market. Because, you know, if you and I go backwards to 2016, the numbers are actually pretty solid if you go 2016 to 2018. It's just that hiccup there in 2017. I think what people want for the most part, if you're if you're moderate, if you're not on either extreme, either you're a mega bull or you're a total bear and you think it's all going to come crashing down, I think what most of us who have homes and mortgages and jobs, what you want is just a stable market. Yeah, I don't think most people were comfortable. Unless you were speculating on real estate last year, 30% jumps in prices year over year weren't making people very, it wasn't making me very comfortable. I'm like, what's going on here? This this isn't a good thing. I know I talked to other people in the industry who are saying, no, they're, they're happier to see a more modest price appreciation if we can get back to that kind of level. And home prices being down 12% year over year is probably good for the market considering where we were last year at this time. Yeah. So the term luxury home market, um, you know, in Toronto, uh, big 
big decline in volume, but price is kind of about the same, give or take. 68% of uh, a decrease from last year in the luxury home market. And of course, when we talk about that, that's that threshold sitting at around $3 million and above. And in the greater Vancouver area, 4.63 and above. In Vancouver's uh, market down 38.2% as far as volume. So is it just that the foreign buyers aren't stepping up or do you just think people have decided to stay put because they're not realizing the extra money from the house that they were going to jump from and then to? I think some of it's the, the foreign buyer money. Some of the people I talk to, it's sort of anecdotal, but we are seeing, even in some, some numbers, a bit of a rise in foreign owners showing interest in Ottawa and Montreal, and people start talking about the heat in those markets. I mean, heat's probably a strong word if you're using Toronto and Vancouver as a benchmark, because the what you can get a house for in Ottawa and Montreal, definitely a lot less than Toronto and Vancouver. So I think a little bit of that, but as, you, as we've talked about before, all the government regulation, there, there's taxes on uh, luxury homes now that, that have been bought in Vancouver, making a lot of people very angry out there. And, and the foreign buyer taxes, I think it just changes the mentality of the market and the game. And so some of the foreign buyers might be saying, well, I don't know if I want to put my money into that market. And then some other people are saying, well, if they're not playing, I always think of it like a poker game, right? Everyone around the table sort of saying, what do you got in your hand? What do you got in your hand? You're you're always playing the person across from you, right? You're not playing your own hand. You're playing the other hand. I learned that from James Bond. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Well, Mr. Bond, um, one last point, uh, of course, in the news this week was the fact that uh, there's an introduction or potential that uh, they're trying to add 50,000 affordable rental units into the market in the next 10 years. Government's going to do a little incentive, you know, throwing out some land cheap. Uh, I think it's one of the REITs that may be uh, hopping on it. What do you think? Is it, uh, does it make sense? I mean, 50,000 doesn't sound like a lot if you're looking at 10 years. Yeah, and in a city this big as well, I mean, every little bit would help. I think the, the thing is, and I've had some discussions around this as well, what happens in terms of uh, making sure they stay affordable, right? Once you get the private sector involved and developers, I think there needs to be some assurances in place that once you buy it, is it going to remain 5, 10, 15 years down the road an affordable missing middle? The missing middle stuff, right, where we talk about you can't raise a family in the city in a 400-square-foot condo, but you can't afford you know, a, a giant apartment. They don't even build them anymore. So this is the kind of thing I think they're trying to struggle with. If you can build these 50,000 units and they're sort of that middle place where a family could raised. My only concern is, do they stay affordable for their entire lifetime duration? How, like, is there a limit? And suddenly they just go to open market rents or open market prices. And then, of course, if they're right in the city in a great place, we know what happens when the market <laughs> decides yeah. what something's worth. Yeah, excellent. Listen, Greg, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, we'll stay in touch. Folks, if you want to catch Greg's new show, uh, you'll find it on the BNN Bloomberg Network. And it is Real Economy at 2 p.m. every day of the week. Greg, always a pleasure having you on the show. Always great to be here. Thanks so much. That was Greg Bennell. And when we come back, I've got Greg Gilmore from Remax joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So my guest in the studio with me right now is Mr. Greg Gilmore. Greg is one of the founding members of Remax in Canada, but uh, more importantly, he is what I would consider my mentor. Uh, I've been part of Greg's brokerage for I guess it would be almost 23 years. And uh, Greg, thanks so much for joining me today on the show. Oh, my pleasure, Todd. You know, it's interesting because um, when we start talking about markets like we're experiencing right now, um, you've, you've weathered all the, all the real estate storms. And, you know, um, one of the things that, uh, one of the things that I, I guess most people should be aware, you, you have been in real estate now for how long? 
Oh my gosh, I started in uh, 75, so I guess it's um, January 75, so it's uh, 42. about 42 years. Wow. Yeah, 43, yeah. Wow, so you started when you were eight, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, when, when, when you first started, obviously, real estate is completely different. I mean, you know, you, you, you were handwriting offers probably on the hood of your car. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, there was no fax machines, no um, lock boxes, no computers. It, uh, it was different. Very much the same. It's a people business, and you do a good job for the people, and they refer you to friends and relatives, you know, so. Yeah. Well, you know, you you actually, um, with a couple of your partners, actually brought the REMAX concept here to Canada, didn't you? Yes, you did. Yeah, it was, um, it was just ripe for the market at the time. Back then, it was mostly, um, most of the commissions were 50-50 shared with the broker, and then we brought in the 95% system where... Um, we, we basically taught good realtors to become business, business owners in their, with, with, with under our company. So, yeah, you know, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, one of the things that I always tried to practice was that I was in the business, you know, I, I, I never believed I was a salesman when I, when I was in real estate, I always believed that it's a business and you have to treat it like a business. You have to treat your clients like a businessman as well, you know, giving them everything you possibly could. Yeah, you were one of the fastest start realtors we ever had, uh, where you understood it was a business and, and you understood also the importance of um, keeping the customer happy and doing what was best for the customer in any case possible. Yeah, yeah, and 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 again, you know, this is some of the, some of the stuff that I obviously learned from you. Um, when we when we take a look at today. You know, it's really changed. I mean, you know, I, I've, I've been watching the market very carefully, and I'm sure you, uh, you know, sitting in the broker position, it's it's a completely different animal than it once was. And, you know, you've got people that came into the market just as it was heating up. And are are people going to struggle? And I'm not talking about, you know, let's say people in your, your company, because your company is, you know, uh, renowned for training people. You know, you've got a succeed program that is probably second to none with being able to train agents on how to do things. But there's a lot of people I think that are going to get affected. A lot of agents that they just don't know what to do in a marketplace like this. Absolutely. No, I find that um, even even experienced people who have been in the, in the market for 10 or 15 years have, have, have just ridden a upswing market that only had one little down, downturn in 2008. Um, but for, you know, since, in, since basically the mid-90s, the prices have just continued to go up. Right. And so um, uh, that's a long time. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and basically I find that... Um, some people got lazy and they don't understand how to work again mm -hmm. and and they don't treat their day like a, a like a they're employed day. yeah they don't treat it like it's a it's a business and and i really find that today if i could uh, say anything to realtors you have to have a daily plan the night before you go to bed and if you have that then you can make every day a successful day yeah uh, I, think, I think that's awesome advice because i always you know a lot of times um you know, what I had seen in the industry was that people would sit there and say, well, I don't have a listing appointment until, you know, one o'clock, so I'll show up at noon kind of thing. Um, you know, I remember you and I were most of the time opening the office. I mean, I'd be at the office at 730 in the morning, even if I did go, even if I was out till midnight, I still always believed that you had to treat it like a business day every single morning, no matter what. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Um, so let's let's talk about uh, the market itself, and then you know, I, I do want to discuss you know an area that you know Remax Specialist is the, is you know is one of the strongest players in. But the market itself, you know, right now we've just come off the numbers in April. Uh, numbers are down, obviously, year over year. Last year, I think 2017 was a blip. Those first few months. Um, do you see the market stabilizing? Should people be, you know, concerned right now what what the prices are going to do, or are we going to start seeing a little bit of a progression moving forward? Well, that's an interesting question. So, basically, how I see the market and what's happened to it is that from January um, to to seventeen to April, the market went up by about eleven percent. Right, and that eleven percent is now gone. Yeah. Uh, so the market dropped by the same 11%, but it's only a four-month period that we're taking out of a t- almost 20-year uprise in prices. So it's not—it's really nothing in the big picture. Um, the the people who bought in April, of course, um, they're the—they probably sold a house at the same time. So um, they sold their house high, they bought a house high. Right. Um, but in the big picture, they probably have still made a good move. Uh, and long-term real estate will always recover. And if you keep real estate a long time, then it doesn't really matter. Um, but what I see right now is we actually have um, prices increasing in, in certain areas. Certainly the low end of the market, the, uh, um, the condominium apartments have actually gone up in value this year. Right. Um, especially if you take a two-bedroom, two-bath condo. It's, uh, uh, I've, I've seen um, multiple offers on these numerous times and and there's like a a, de- a demand yeah um i have soft, i've seen a little bit of softening in the higher end prices but uh, there's still lots and lots of buyers out there and there still is a shortage of product on the market shortage of well-priced product yep. and and anything anything that comes on the market you know well-priced sells often with multiple offers still right so it's uh it's just like if you come on the market asking you know april April 2017 prices, you're not going to sell. Right. Um, the, the, the buyers are educated uh, and, and they have uh, the stats uh, available. So, um, so therefore, you need to just price your house according to today's market. It will, it, it will sell if you're, de- if you're dealing with a knowledgeable realtor. Yeah, and you know that's one of the things that I try to encourage everybody here on the show for all our listeners is the fact that when dealing with a professional, you're going to get this, not just the service, but you get the knowledge. And the knowledge is very specific in some areas. So if you're if we're talking about listing agents, which of course, as you know, I was, and so were you. Um, you know, one of the big focus points is that knowing that neighborhood so well. So if a house sells at this price, there's a reason behind it. So you know, you know the upgrades, you know the conditions, and you actually. And a lot of times know the reason for the sale. You know, some people are upsizing, some people are getting divorced, who knows? But, you know, if if you're hiring the right people, you've got all this knowledge base behind it and so important. And, and you know, that's one of the, the things that I, I know I learned from you. When we uh, when we talk about uh, a big trading area for, for you and your company is Mississauga. And, you know, Mississauga's had some, you know, incredible years behind it. Right now, there's basically only infill left. You know, they've, they've, they've pushed all the boundaries. Is there going to still be enough development in Mississauga to keep it growing? Absolutely. There's going to be, uh, just in the city center, there's going to be 22 more towers going up. Uh, tw- there's 22 more condominium buildings uh, just in the city center alone right. over the next 
number of years. I'm not sure the exact uh, time frame, but uh, probably over the next 10 years. Sure. Uh, so you're going to see that kind of growth. You're also, I'm seeing that there's we have an aging population uh, where we have um, people who have, um, oh, my last customer paid 90, 99000 for the house, and they just sold for just over a million. And <laughs> they ended up buying a condominium in, in the square one area. Sure. Uh, they're like they're old and their kids are, uh, they're having trouble walking and, and they just need to get on one level. Uh, and this is very typical. Uh, and, and it's also very typical for people who have, you know, been in the house a long time and, and increase the equity a lot to help their kids, um, buy, buy home. Right. And so I'm seeing lots of that and that's fueling the, uh, the low end of the market as well. Like the, uh, and, and, and unfortunately, the, the low end of the market is high compared to what we used to think it was. Sure. Uh, so uh, I know my first house I sold was a detached house for thirty seven five. And so you can't get a parking spot for that nowadays. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So um, yeah. So I'd I'd say the entry level is um, you know probably around that four hundred thousand dollar mark. Um, but you know it, it's it, it, the incomes have also increased. So as far as percentage of income to to actually carry a home, it's, it hasn't changed that much. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting because I know there's some developers. We've got uh, the Rogers Group are going to be doing the one near the Square One area. You know, they've got quite a bit of development that's going to go over there. And then on top of that, you've got the old um, the old generation plant down there uh, by Dixie and Lakeshore that they're going to be putting. And they propose both, uh, both commercial residential together. I think it's going to be a hybrid program, yes? Oh, yeah. Well, and also the one at um, Mississauga Road and the old Texaco lands. There's 72 acres there. Right. And there's uh, a number of uh, big builders who have gone together to to purchase it, and it's under development right now. Right. Uh, and there's um, uh, so that's going to be a massive development, adding um, well a few thousand units to uh, uh, to just the Port Credit area in Mississauga. Yeah, excellent. You know, it's uh, it's it's going to be good because you know again um, Mississauga, you know, great area. But as long as uh, as long as everything's moving forward in the development, um, Greg, it's always a pleasure having you come on the show. I appreciate it. Um, if people uh, are interested in finding out on a uh, how to be a realtor, or for that matter, track you down, what's the best way to reach you? Best way is uh, um, my number is eight five eight three four three four in the nine zero five area code. Right. That's with Remax Realty Specialist, and we are actually uh, looking for good realtors, uh, people who want to start up, um, and we have one of the best training programs in the business. Yeah, I would agree. I, I wholeheartedly agree, and um, like I said, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, my pleasure. Folks, that's Mr. Greg Gilmore from Remax Realty Specialist. Uh, if you do want to find out more about what I would consider one of the top brokerages ever, um, 905-858-3434. Uh, I want to uh, thank Greg for joining me as well. I want to thank uh, Greg Bennell from BNN Bloomberg for joining us a little bit earlier in the hour. Always great to have him on and talking about what's going on in the world of real estate. And of course, Ian Grant, thanks for making it simple this week as usual, as you do. And to all our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, I'll be back next Saturday at 3 p.m. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.